Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So have you ever had to rebuild yourself? Welcome to episode number 84. Today, I'm talking with author and artist Summer Sage. She's going to detail all the trauma she went through as a youth, including a man stalking her family, breaking down the door with an axe, and chasing them through the neighborhood. Also, her mother unexpectedly dying the night of her senior prom. And how about getting into a car accident and having a hole in your lung as you enter your freshman year of college? And that's actually where I met Summer in 1997 at college. So we'll share some stories as she explains how she had to rebuild herself and gives the tips and tricks that anyone can use. And our conversation will take a left turn and we'll end up with dating and tantric sex. So sit down, relax, and take in this beautiful recording. Summer, welcome to the Inner Peace Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. How has meditation changed your life? I think meditation has just allowed me to um, slow down and really like focus and kind of like really build up my spiritual and like more and like enlightenment side, just really help me connect to myself and like my, my inner wisdom and just kind of like grow in that field. And I think before I didn't just take the time to do any of those things before. So I was always acting kind of on things outside of myself. And now I act more within. How long have you been actively meditating? I would say that I probably have been really interested in it for like probably 15 years and I tried and it wasn't something that came easy or natural to me. I have like a little bit of an ADHD kind of brain. So I lacked like the focus or the discipline for a while. Um, but probably more recently in the last year, I kind of really just kind of delved back into it and um, I'm not so caught up on the, the uh, like not getting so lost in my like brain. And I just, I was able to really just kind of like, fall into it a lot more easily than I did when I was trying to 20 years ago. I don't know what the block was back then, but I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to be, yeah, I guess maturity, calmness, you yeah. know, it just took this time around. Mm. And last time we talked, you, you showed me your, your copper um, little pyramid meditation. Yes. Yeah. Tell, tell me about it. So I have a copper outline of a pyramid and um, it's kind of what I use to sit underneath to meditate. And it has like a little ball, organite ball that I like set underneath as well. And copper is just one of those amazing metals that I think just helps kind of like helps energies around, like just kind of like freely go to. I, I do everything almost in copper. So I like sit there and I just feel more in tune. I don't know if it's actually helping me. I think it actually is helping me, but I just feel like it is a, a greater tool to use to help me and my process when I am meditating. So I like to just sit there quietly with my stones and my mm -hmm. shell and my organite and just the copper surrounding me and just, just do my meditations. I mean, we are electricity. Absolutely. And copper Absolutely. goes, you know, they goes together. Absolutely. Hmm. We are energy. We are energy. Yeah, yeah. So, you, you know, you had a uh, turbulent early life. So yep. you said, okay. When I met you, I met you in 1997 at Eastern Connecticut State University. We were in Burnett Hall, freshmen together. 18, probably fresh, just, just turned 18. And I remember you saying something about your mom yes. later on, but I didn't know the details. What, what happened with that before Eastern? So prior to coming to Eastern, um, my mother had passed away in May 
of 20 of 1997 i'm sorry and she had a rare muscle disease but she was um taking a series of medications that pretty much made her a, a diabetic and we didn't know that uh, we didn't know that she was going to be a diabetic or the medication was going to make her diabetic so she didn't change her diet in any way shape or form she was just eating you know her regular foods like bread sugars um coffees sodas and just eating that kind of a diet and um she was acting really strange one day and when we wheeled her into the the hospital like they said like her blood sugar level was like something like 900 mm. and a normal person's is like 90 so um she ended up falling into a diabetic coma later that day and never really coming out of it and then she ended up passing away like a day or two later because mm. um, her body just couldn't take it it was on sugar overload and it just you know just failed so and, and this is just just clear blue left field yeah because like when we spoke to um some of the doctors at the hospital um you know my mom was under va care and so like we didn't get a lot of that information from the va but when we talked to the doctors at the hospital they said that that with her muscle disease had she been managed properly she should have been able to see her grandkids you know she mm -hmm. just needed to be managed properly and some of the medicines were like steroids and long-term use of steroids um some of steroids will make you diabetic and she just wasn't monitored properly so you're 17 years old you're a senior in high school i mean this is supposed to be the best time of our life going into college and your mom unexpectedly passes away how do you deal with this um, you just kind of like push through. This wasn't like the first time I had to like go through some kind of trauma. And I think that, you know, it's hard because you are a young kid and you're figuring, trying to figure out how you're going to navigate, navigate through the world without like your parent helping you and showing you what to do. And here I am, I have to go brand new in the world. Luckily I had an older sister who had always been like a mother figure to me and had always taken care of me. So it was nice to have that support and have somebody help me do a lot of those things that I didn't know how to do. I didn't know how to enter the, um, into the adult world, but I felt bad for her because she didn't have anybody else to rely on. So I had to rely on her and she was there and helped, you know, me as much as she could, but she had to just figure out adulting all on her own and then take care of a of sibling that, you know, was just a sibling. She had to be the mom. And you said may, so we're talking senior prom, the whole. Yes. She actually passed away at senior prom during senior prom. Oh my gosh. And this is supposed to be a big night for a person. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So how long did the morning, like how long did the grief last? Um, I believe like it was, it took me years and years and years to get over it. There were moments when you felt okay and moments when you didn't really think about it and moments when you kind of told yourself that you were okay. But there were also those moments when you just felt small and alone. And you're just like, I really wish I could just talk to her. Or um, there was actually quite a few times when like I would have dreams and she would like come to me in my dreams and I like would, you know, be aware that she was no longer alive. And it's like we would have conversations knowing that she wasn't alive. And it was almost like we were communicating in this other like realm in this dream world. And that kind of was like reassuring that she was still coming to check on me. Like she actually like you know, came to me once while I was at Eastern and like, you know, just to see if I was okay. And right after she passed away, it was another dream where like, she made me like breakfast. And, and I was like, don't say goodbye. Don't say bye. Just say, I'll see you later. And she was like, I'll see you later. And, but we, I knew in my mind that she was no longer alive and it was just like her visiting me for a while. So there was those periodic moments for a while. Um, you know, just because I may have needed just because I was like in touch, I feel like, you know, so um, but it took, it took a while and there was some resentment that I had built up maybe for her leaving and maybe some mistakes that I felt was made uh, in life for her. So it did take a while, the healing and the forgiveness. Mm. And your dad wasn't there. He was in prison, correct? Yes. Um, I didn't really grow up with my father very much. Um, so he ended up getting arrested when I was 15 and he had to do 15 years in jail. So he didn't get out again until I was 30. So I didn't have a parent when my mother passed away that was actively involved or that could like really do much or help out or, you know, send the care packages or do any of those kind of things. It was kind of like, you know, you're on your own and you got a, you know, a sister four years older than you who's a child herself trying to figure it out. Right, right. So here's the thing is we never know what someone's going through. So 
going back to 1997, here we are, freshmen in college, and life is like so brand new. It's so brand new when you go to college for the first time. And, you know, I remember you just being so spunky and so, you know, friendly. And But here you are going through something that nobody knows about unless you volunteer the info. Yes. And the really strange thing was, like, right before school started, like a week before school started, I had just gotten into a really bad automobile accident. So when I came to school, I couldn't, like, I had a hole in my lung that was going to take nine months to heal. Hmm. And so I couldn't exert any extra energy. Here I'm in, we're in Burnett Hall together. I have got to walk up three flights of stairs. Everything had to be slow. I had to not move. I couldn't, like, be physical in, like, any kind of way or else I would just fall and collapse. It was like having an asthma attack. But um, I never wanted to let anything, like, it's not that I didn't want to let anything, like, things just really didn't beat me. I didn't really, like, succumb to negative things happening. Like, I just was like, I'm going to rise above this. I'm always going to overcome. I'm always going to rise above. I don't have to be different from myself because of a circumstance that is happening in my life. So you never, you never played a victim. You never did poor me. What was me? No, I, I, I don't believe that I did. I don't like to really play victim. I was just like, well, I got to deal with this thing. I'm going to deal with it. And, you know, we're going to get through. I'm going to try to be, I'm going to try to be the sunshine as much as I can. Hmm. <laughs> and you're, you're an active girl. I mean, you were, you were running track. So this injury really must have slowed you down. It did. So that first year of school, I definitely um, was unable to do track. I couldn't do that for a long time. Cause like I said, that, that, hole in the lung took nine months it took a while like one side of my body was weaker I had to retrain the other side of it to be the strong side so it took a while to get back but I came back strong um you know in the end when I could get back and perform and run again I came back strong did you ever think of um going to therapy or did you go to therapy when your mom passed I did not go to therapy when my mother passed away um so I didn't really do any kind of therapy until I was in my master's program um, that really helped me kind of work through some things with my mom. And I just think that therapy was one of those things that was still kind of like a stigma, especially in like, you know, like my culture with families, like you don't go to therapy unless you're like, you know, crazy. So like that was for something for crazy people. So and you're like, I'm normal. I'm, I don't need really anybody to talk to. Um, and I didn't really think I needed anybody to talk to, you know, if I, if I was feeling bad, I would talk to my sister. We would share memories. We would, you know, talk about it. We would laugh and, and just kind of enjoy our mother as we remembered her. And that was kind of what we needed. What about your childhood before your mother passed? You said it was pretty traumatic. I mean, it was traumatic. I had, um, like I was dealing with a, a parent who was mentally ill at times. So Sometimes she would be like the most wonderful person in the world and she instilled all these beautiful, wonderful things in me like art and music and to dream and to create and to do all these things. Everything that I love as an adult was kind of planted from her in my childhood. Everything like water sports, like, you know, everything was all her. Um, but then there were these moments when she would be like manic and would be a completely different person and and she was unstable sometimes, and she would like spend bouts of times in the in the hospital. And then when she became sick, she was also in the hospital for periods of time, so she wasn't actively there. And because of some of these things, we had spent so much time like moving and changing schools. So I had been in almost I went 13, 17 different schools. I can't even think about it right now. But I had been in 17 different schools by the time I like graduated. And I was lucky enough to spend all four years at the same high school. So you're talking about elementary and middle school like a ridiculous amount of schools wow there was a lot of moving um there was a lot of like turmoil there was a lot of like bad relationships with like um you know like men that you shouldn't have involved with relationship um you know like we my mom befriended somebody and was trying to help them out and they ended up like chasing us out of our house when I was like 10 years old with an axe like we was all over the news it was just like crazy chaos things that you wouldn't even think could really happen to a person would just like always happen it was like one kind of thing after the other you're like how is this really my life <laughs> and so you remember that at, for, at 10 years old you remember it I remember vividly I I even like because when like when you met me we were writing songs and like poems and stuff all the time so I even mm -hmm. like you know put a song together like about this whole event of this man who was like my friend who I would like um 
you know, I would go crabbing with and go fishing with, and he built me a swing, like all these things that we did. Like I spent so much time with this person. And then when it was time for him to like move on and go and like go on his way, because my, we found out that he was using drugs. He didn't like that. And he just completely flipped on our family and then, you know, chopped down our door with an ax chased us out chased us throughout the streets with that's like it's my mother and my sister and I are running through the streets trying to get away from him hiding in bushes and we have our dog with her and he's calling he's calling the dog trying to find out where the dog is and get our location and just like stalking us for days it, after that it sounds like a horror movie it does it does but it was something that I had to live through and we all had to live through and you know it doesn't seem like a real thing but and I just remember that was one of the moments when I saw my mom like so tough and she just sat on our porch. He was kept calling our house and he just sat on our porch and he's like, I'm coming for you and your kids. And he was saying all stuff. And she just, she clicked this shotgun barrel and she's like, come for me if you're coming for me. And I was just like looking at my mom, like, Oh my gosh, like she's really not going to let this person come in here and tear us apart. But you know, he ended up trying to come to the house and walking right up to the front door. And like all the police were hiding in the bushes and they were able to like apprehend him at that point. But it was like a week or two of them trying to get him and him stalking us. Oh my gosh. Now this goes back to what I just said about you never really know. You never really know someone what's going on in, in no. someone's head. Like here's this guy who was seemed normal and then all of a sudden he just flipped. Yeah. So there's something there in his yeah. past or something. Yes. So I can't say obviously I was a child at the time and I wasn't really familiar with you know, what drugs do to somebody, but I had, like, he was my friend, and I had saw him using, so I told my mother that I saw him, you know, like, acting crazy, like, doing stuff like that, so she knew exactly what I was talking about, so she was like, listen, I can't have you around my kids, you were here with uh, my friend, but he left, so you need to move on and find other places to go, and he just did not respect that or like that, and didn't want to do that, and he just said, well, rejection, if that's what's going on, then I'm going to take all you guys out, and you know, he even got away the first night and if he just kept on going, he might've been okay, but he just kept coming back. Like he was, he was dead set on that. He was going to destroy us or take us out. And you think if he caught you, he would have killed you. I think so. Wow. I think so. No one chases you out of your house with an ax or no one stalks you for two weeks. You know, you know, he's not calling your, your house saying, I'm going to come after you and get your kids. I think that he had it in his mind that he was going to, destroy us and i don't know if he was more mad at me because we were supposed like you know we were close and i told on him or or if he was more mad because you know i don't know what the language was between him and my mother was you know she could be kind of coarse so maybe she, he she said something that was severely offensive and he didn't like that either but he was like that said i'm taking you all out wow did the cops get him they did so he, that one time that last time he called when i said my mom like caught the shotgun like he was he said i'm coming for you and your kids and he showed up like a half hour later just walking right up through the front yard like he was coming to get us and they were hiding in all the bushes and right before he got to the door they all jumped out and they got and they grabbed him and they put him in cuffs and just like newspaper articles about it and so i have like the clippings i saved the newspaper clippings from that so i still have that from that day you know because it was just like an unbelievable thing i'm like this is really a part of my story wow and any idea where he is now? I don't know. So he he didn't get very much time. I remember going to court. He didn't get very much time. And then um, when he was in court, he was pretending like he couldn't speak English. He was a Hispanic man. Um, but he didn't get very much time at that. I want to say maybe six, six years. Um, but um, I don't know. I haven't seen him since. So, you know, you're talking about something that was 31, 31 years ago. If I wow. saw him on the street, I would hope I would recognize him. But, you know, who knows? Did you have any nightmares, anything like that? This this could be a PTSD type situation right here. I don't recall having nightmares, but it forever changed you. Like, I'm obviously more aware and, and vigilant of my safety right now. Like, you know, of people, because you never know who's going to. We were just sitting at our house in the middle of the night and you know, like he cut the cable and then he found an ax and then he's chopping. Luckily there was two back doors for him to get through, you know, like, so I'm definitely more 
you know, aware that like, just to be more cautious of my social <laughs> settings or roundings and make sure, you know, look around like that. So it's made me just, you know, you know, people say a little paranoid, but I'm not paranoid. I'm just like aware because I, I know what people can do or what can happen probably. Right. You yeah. never know what's going on in someone's head. You never do. You know, and I'm not saying it's always somebody, you know, it's, it's strangers. It could be anybody, but just to be more aware, like when you're walking down the street and it's dark out, just to be more aware of your surroundings. You know, one of the common questions that people have when they're, you know, small talking with each other is, you know, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. And people usually say, you know, Friday the 13th or Freddy Krueger, this, that. I always say, Gone Girl. That movie scared the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that movie, which is a novel also, is an example of you never really know no. what someone's capable because this guy was married to this woman for years mm-hmm. and she just flipped on him and came up with this whole strategic thing. Yeah. You never can tell about a person. You never can tell. Like, you know, you think you know people, you think you're close. Just like I said, I thought this guy and I were like best friends. This is somebody I spent so much time with alone. I couldn't even imagine that he would be, he would turn on us and do something like that, you know? Couldn't even imagine. And one day he was just different. Mm. So here we are, all these years later. All these years later. And you seem to be just fine. I feel just fine. I feel pretty good. Um... I I definitely think that I have a resiliency that has, you know, been like a staple, like a very, you know, I have a really good foundation and that resiliency is just in there. But I mean, like, um, well, like one of the best ways I think I can explain it is like Dr. Manhattan, you know, he said the very first thing I learned to do was to rebuild myself. And he's talking to the smartest man in the the world. He's like, Mm. you know, he's like, silly, Adrian. The very first thing I, the very first thing I learned was to rebuild myself. And I think that I learned that lesson very early on in life. And so whenever something has happened, when it kind of turmoil, I've got, I've, you know, I might fall down, I might crumble, but this foundation is good. My foundation is good. And I know how to rebuild it right upon that foundation. That's rock solid. People don't know how to rebuild. Some people crumble and they fall down and don't, they can't figure out how to get back up. Right. What do you say to them? I just try to, and I really just try to encourage them that they have more power than they think. Like a lot of people surrender like everything over to like the outside influences. And I'm like, well, like, listen, everything is within you. Everything you need is within you. You don't need anyone to tell you. You don't need a bandaid. You don't really need a drug. You just need to figure out what, what you have inside of you and just build upon it. You have it. You have everything that you need. I'm no, no more special than you are. I just want to be better. I want to be happy. I want to be resilient. I want to do those things. And because I want them and I claim them and I manifest them, I am those things. How would you respond to saying no to say yes? <laughs> I, uh, I say that all the time. I always mm-hmm. say like, what do you have to say no to so you can say yes to the things in your life? I feel like sometimes you have like calling or you have purposes and you have things that you want to do But instead of doing them, like you get distracted by all these other things in your life, whether it be things that you're good at or other people and stuff. But sometimes there are things that you need to be like, listen, I can't, I got to say no to this. I can't do this right now because my dreams, my expectations, my, my gifts are waiting for me over here. And I can't get to them because I keep getting boggled down with all this other stuff, you know? So I think that that's a, a, a phrase that I repeat to people quite often. I'm like, you need to learn how to say no to things so that you can say yes to your life. You can say yes to your gifts. You can say yes to the things that you want to do. Quite often, a lot of people get used to putting the things that they want to do in themselves on the back burner, and they never get to it. It's like something that, oh, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it tomorrow. And you never get there because you're so caught up with everything else except for what you really want to do. How do you protect your energy without withdrawing? So I have to do a lot of work and it took me a while to like learn that because I've always worked with like in a field with people where there's like turmoil and chaos and stuff like that. And I realized early on that I was always taking whatever I heard or whatever I experienced home with me. And I couldn't explain why I was miserable or why I was feeling this energy. It wasn't mine, but I was taking it on. 
And so I had to like really like figure out some ways to like com- combat that. So with the meditation and like the, the spiritual practice and like the energy balance, like I almost became like, um, sometimes I like use movies for analogies. So that's, you're just going to have to roll with me with that. So it was almost like, you know, like, all right, I got to be like John Coffey over here from the Green Mile. I got to like suck it all in out of somebody, but I got to cough that out before I go home, before I let it poison me or let it poison anybody else. Cause I don't want to take any of that home. So I would spend time. Mm-hmm. I would spend time. All right. I've taken all this energy in before I go anywhere. I got to let this out. I got to get this out so that it is not negatively affecting me. I'm not bringing it home and let it negatively affect my home, my children, my family and get it out before I take it home. Cause it's not mine and I don't want that energy, but I'm, I'm definitely willing to help somebody like get it out of them. I don't want it to attach itself to me, but energy has got to go someplace. Yeah. Yeah. I I experienced that when I was had my health practice and you know for eight years I was working with people who are chronically you know have chronic illnesses mm-hmm. and there's there's a lot of energy just coming at me just yeah yeah it, it do you have to figure out how to protect yourself and how to like heal because you will take it with you if you don't figure that out how do you tap into your inner turbo my inner turbo. I don't know. I probably don't have one way and I think different ways will probably get me there. Like sometimes a mute, a song or music can help transport me to someplace. Like just really like get my energy and get me going and will get me lost. Sometimes I'm just sitting and I'm sitting in my, um, like, you know, like in my like yoga pose or sitting with my eyes closed and I can sit there and then I will just kind of like, almost get into this gravitational spin that's kind of like a pull or a natural and it'll just take me there. So I don't really know if it's one kind of way. It just kind of depends on, I guess, where I am in that moment, like what's happening around me. And like, I, like if I'm being inv- invited into the, you know, like the turbo, mm. I would say. Okay. What would you say is the difference between living and existing? I would say existing is living a half to no life but you're alive you're almost like in zombie mode going through your life not really enjoying it um just kind of like waking up every day not feeling good going to bed every day maybe just like you know regretful just feeling miserable and maybe even spreading some of that misery around because you don't know what else to do with it Mm because it's just you know it's just in you and all around you and the only way to kind of feel a little bit better is to like let somebody else or make somebody else feel that way but like when you're living and you're really truly trying to live, you're trying to breathe. You're like trying to research. You're trying to like understand. You're trying to know. You're trying to be aware. And you're like full of gratitude and hope. And you're trying to make things better. And you're trying to feel better. Like like you're alive. That energy is rushing through you to just kind of be just like magnificent almost. You know, like you just are grateful every day and anxious to like do the small things it doesn't have to be anything major i'm just so excited to get up and like make this bread today because i'm gonna enjoy this bread i'm so excited to go harvest this fruit today and it's just picking some fruit but it is just like the best thing about your day and like i'm really enjoying life and living and even the the small moments everything matters Mm. everything matters everything matters Mm. just moment to moment absolutely absolutely and being present in those moments a lot of times I think when people are just existing, they're always thinking so future, but like, oh, I'll be happy when this happens or I'll be happy later or I'm going to get to this. And they're not even enjoying the moments. And I think you just need to appreciate your evolution. Like even the tough things or the hard things are a part of your evolution. They help you mold you and scope you into becoming this being that you're supposed to be. So you have to kind of just appreciate like those, those moments. You got to appreciate your evolution and where they brought you. Like, I don't regret the way I grew up at all or anything that happened to me. Cause I really just appreciate who it's made me at this point in time. I understand that it was crucial for my evolution, for my development. Mm, right. Some people may say you either win or you learn. <laughs> so quick story. So back in 1999, you and I went together, went to New York. And, yes, we did. and we did. Now I was going, I I was going because my dream, quote unquote, as a young man was to be a radio or TV personality. 
Yes. And I was on the radio at Eastern, 90.1 WECS. And MTV launched this new contest called Want to Be a VJ. So I was like, this is my shot. And yes. so I wanted to go to New York, but I didn't have anyone to go with. And I don't remember exactly how you ended up coming with me, but somehow you did. Yeah. You said exactly what you just said. He was like, I want to go, but I want somebody to go. Will you go? And I said, sure, I'll go. Yeah. And of course, that means you're going to audition too. Here we go. We, we get together. You came to the house. I think my mom or dad or somebody brought us to the train station. And we went to New York. Big city. And what a trip. And we stood in line for, if I'm not mistaken, around 12 hours, 10 to 12 hours. Yes, it was so many hours. And it, it was, was cold. It was a line around, a la, around blocks. Yes. Yep. I, I think we ended up cuddling out of necessity. <laughs> it was freezing. And I believe it was like raining. It was like a drizzle kind of rain. Yeah. And we were freezing. Mm-hmm. And we had nothing. Like we had nothing but like what we just wore thinking that we would be there like in and out. But it was hours and hours. Yeah. It was just a total unexpected thing. And then, and then once you get into the audition, you're exhausted. And it's like two minutes. Like two minutes. Yeah. yeah. 12 hours for two minutes. Yes. And you're exhausted and you've been rained on all night. So you don't look <laughs> your best. <laughs> you look terrible, but you've got to put on that a game. And I, I, I could, you know, my memory isn't great, but I think I remember us and some strangers just kind of like cuddling together. Cause it was, it was so cold. I've never experienced cold like that before. It was really, it was, and it was wet. So it was like, we're freezing. It's the middle of the night. Cause we had to be there. Like, I don't know. We must've been there like, like 10 o'clock at night just to get in maybe in the afternoon, the next day sometime, you know, it was like really ridiculous and all night long, just standing in line, moving slowly, freezing, raining. And then, yeah, it's just strangers, people we had never met, but all of us are like, if we put our body heat together, we'll be warmer. And we're like, yes, let's do this. Let's, yeah. let's all of us do this. Cause it was necessity yeah yeah and we were we weren't gonna back out nobody was going home we're just like we're gonna make do how do we fix what our problem our problem is cold let's cuddle let's get together huddle together and looking back i mean it's a total publicity stunt by mtv yeah to to just you know because the guy who won was only there for a year if that i don't even remember who won it was it was uh was it jesse jesse was the first year oh the second year I, I don't remember, but I don't either. all I know is I was like, I felt like I was waiting for this moment my whole life. And it was just such a disappointment <laughs> <laughs> for all that waiting, just a two minute, not even two minutes. No. You just hand you a microphone and say, all right. Yeah. I'm going to ask you five things and then you're done. I remember saying to myself, man, I hope Summer, if I don't get it, I hope Summer gets it. I didn't think I was going to get it because it wasn't my dream. Why? Why'd you go? Why? Because you, you asked me to. Because you said, "Hey, I want to go to this thing. I'm. I want somebody to go with me. I don't have anybody going with me. Will you go?" So I said, "Okay, I'm not doing anything on Saturday. Sure, I'll go." Yeah. I. You just. You needed a friend, so I was going to be your friend. I remember just like sitting there, like all that time in line for this. I'm cold. I'm hungry. <laughs> wet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, that's it. That was a big letdown. <laughs> 1999. We were, what, 19 years old? Well, here we are a little over 20 years later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We still look the same, though. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, we do. We haven't aged very much. We're, we're aging well. We're aging very well, yes, yes. Yes. Did you enjoy your experience at Eastern? I really did. Um, I think Eastern was a really good place for me um, because I really like I met my best friend for like life there and I love her to death. Um, And, you know, even when we don't speak, we can pick up the phone and call each other in the moments when we really need each other. So, you know, that's invaluable when you like kind of like meet people like that. And it was it was small enough 
it was a small enough campus where it, you could have like these intimate relationships with people and really be close. Like, um, like you and I can still speak, like we might not talk a time, but there were periods in time when you and I will talk for like, you know, months and then fade away and do some other stuff, but just still come back because of our same interests. And we could be on different floors when we were in school and just come together and talk. And you could be like, Hey, you want to come to this VJ contest with me? And I'd be like, sure. And we, you know, we made music. We had friends that made music. We had a lot of artist friends. There were so many artists and so many like rappers and singers and stuff. So it was just such a good place to come to and just collectively like, uh, let's all write and share our experiences and see what we got. And we would just jam. Just be in each other's rooms and our sweatpants, because that's all we wore was sweatpants and sweatshirts. And just jam with each other. Oh, put that beat on. This is what I got, what I got. And it was like a beautiful experience. So I really do appreciate, um, you know, what that brought to me, you know, and all the people that are still, I'm still connected to from that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember K-Dub? <laughs> <laughs> Radio I station do. I do remember K Dub. I remember K Dub. I, I mean, it took me a while to get used to calling you Kevin, and then now Doctor, now Doctor. Yeah. But right. you know, it's it's been uh, it's just been a, this is your path. This is where you you know you've been developing. But yes, when I met you, all all I called you was was K Dub. Yeah. Did I ever bring you to the radio station? No, I don't think I ever went to the radio station. Were you shocked when I ended up on Hot 93.7? I was not because you were claiming that. Like, I think that you were just manifesting that from the time I met you. Like, even going to that, who wants to be a VJ or want to be a VJ contest? Like, you knew that that's what you wanted to do at that time in your life, and you did it. And I think that you made it happen because you're like, I'm going to do this thing. This is what I want to do. I'm going to make it happen. I didn't get on this MTV thing, but I'm going to keep pushing at it and making sure I get to where I want to go. And then you fell into the career. I don't know. I don't want to say fell into the career because I don't know mm -hmm. how you got into it, but you got into the career that you wanted. You manifested it for yourself mm -hmm. and you made it happen. So well, like, it's just shocking to hear like, you know, this, this, oh, I went to school with that kid. He's on the radio. That was shocking. But when I actually thought about it, I was like, that makes perfect sense. This is what he said he wanted to do. And he made it happen for himself. That's a beautiful thing. He made yeah. what he wanted. He made his dream come true. Yeah, I ask because, you know, that first year I was on professional radio, I would definitely get phone calls from people from Eastern and be like, no way, because, you know, I was very committed mm -hmm. to that little show on Thursday night. I mean, I never missed, even in the, in the off season, I would drive up to Eastern, you know, in the summer and do the show, you know, I was very committed, so when you love it you love it yeah i suppose so and you loved it at the time and you yeah at the time yeah mm -hmm. and you ended up writing fiction fiction novels i did i'm i don't want to just say that i end up writing fiction i just like to say that i i write because i don't really want to be i don't want to be like put in one genre necessarily mm -hmm. because I also have a few children's books for like early readers mm -hmm. that I did. I'm also a mom. So when I, when I became a mom, I started writing and making up stories for my children. So I also write that. And the books that I currently have out are like historical fictions, but you know, in my like brain or in my like titles that I have going on, I have so many other different kinds of books that I just haven't gotten to yet, or I'm currently trying to work on that haven't come out yet, but they're not all going to be fiction. So I just like to say I write. You're an author. Yes. I create. I was just going to say that. You know, maybe, maybe that's why, you know, we connected back in the day because we're creatives. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. You know, sitting down and, and, you know, writing a book is not difficult for me. I don't know if it's difficult for you, but I just, it comes so natural. Yes, I think maybe before I had actually done it, it seemed difficult or I told myself it was difficult. But once I actually sat down in front of the computer and started to type it, it was there. It was like somebody was feeding the lines to me. I didn't even have to really think about it. It was there. Like I, I had to force myself to stop, to go to sleep and be like, I got to save there. I can't type anymore. I'm tired. You know, so it was there. It's like it was like uncovering something that already had existed. I almost didn't feel like I wrote it because it was there, you know. Right. So I don't feel like it's 
hard to write now. Like I don't have writer's block. I've never had writer's block. It's there. It's ready to flow whenever I sit down, pick up a pen, ready to go. It's there. The words are there. Same here. I've never had writer's block. Mm -hmm. If anything, I've had too much. Yeah. Writer's overflow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here we are. You're similar to me. You're like different compared to the average American. You have different views. You meditate. You, you understand energy and things like this. Does it create difficulties in dating? You know, it can be turbulent if you find someone who's completely different. Perhaps they eat completely different. Perhaps they have different views. Perhaps they, they laugh at meditation. They don't understand it. And then here comes you. How does this work? I mean, I'm going to speak from now. Because maybe in the past, like when I was dating and I was having children and I got married, I wasn't completely living this fully or so, so, so forward. But now I kind of like, just kind of like full front, like, Hey, this is it. This is me. This is what you get. And you know, blah, 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 blah. The people that I attract to me are the similar of similar mind and similar values and similar viewpoints. So I don't seem to run into that blockage of like, you know, like somebody who doesn't think the same as me or isn't really approaching me. And if they are like, I'm not really, their energy is different from mine. Their vibrations are different. So we never get past, you know, hello, how are you really? Like, that's it. You know, like, Oh, hello. Nice to meet you. And that's as far as you and I are going to go because we're already on different frequencies and you don't line up. So like now, because I'm putting out my little frequency beam, it seems like the people that are attracted or drawn to me, and this can be in like any kind of relationship, close kind of relationship, not just like dating, like are of like mind. We think the same. We talk the same. I feel that there are more people that I'm connected to now that like when I start talking about something that people would consider weird, they're, they're right there with me. Mm. Yeah. Some of them a little further down the rabbit hole, you know? Mm. So you're just like, oh, okay. Mm. You know what I want to talk about now? What would you like to talk about? I want to talk about making love. Oh, Okay. Now, you're someone that understands energy. Yes. So there's a beautiful energy exchange when this occurrence happens. It can be very different than the traditional pornographic, you know, animalistic type of sex. Mm -hmm. Have you ever meditated through an orgasm? You know, I'm going to say no, I have not. Mm -hmm. Have you? Yes. Would you recommend it? I would recommend it. Okay. I'm going to have to think upon that. I never even thought about doing that. Mm. Yeah, because it's a doorway to the divine. Okay. And you're losing your mind anyway. Yes. If I did, I wasn't purposefully doing it. So I'll have to like really put Mm. some mind thought energy into that. Yeah. Because we're circulating energy, right? We're circulating energy. And when it goes downwards, it becomes sexual. Mm -hmm. But we can also make it go upwards and get a little, you know, kundalini action, you know. We can make it explode up here in the the crown. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that can be played with. You know, you mentioned to me that you did some studying on Tantra and whatnot back in the day. I did. I did. So this was during our Eastern year. So I was um, abstinent for probably a little over a year um, because I I chose to be. And during that time, I just really chose to study or kind of get in touch with like my body and wanting to learn about how it worked and what its real purpose was and not to have some of these like, connections that didn't mean anything this transfer of energy where which was almost like nothing you know so I spent a year with myself kind of like studying some um you know tantric arts a uh, little bit of breath control some like all those things and then um I got into some relationships shortly after and I didn't really use some of the things that I learned because I just didn't want to waste what I learned early was so valuable. I'm like, I just, you just can't give this away to anybody. Like you can't just share this stuff with anybody. So 
they have to be somebody spectacular or wonderful to get this, this stuff that I learned. So then I really felt like for a period of time, I actually, it was like, had, I was holding back where I put the reins on myself and wasn't really like letting loose because I felt like, oh, I don't know if you deserve this. You know, it's like Elaine with the sponge. Are you sponge worthy? I'm like, are you, are you tantric worthy? Like, no, you know, maybe not. Um, so, and then I ended up just kind of like falling away from it and not really like giving it because I just kind of let it go. I felt like maybe I was just like, oh, nobody's really like worth it, worth it. And then I just kind of like fell away from it. And, um, you know, I had been thinking more recently that maybe I need to rekindle some of that work. Um, but I haven't started yet, but I have thought about it. So it is something that is like, you know, on the things of lists to do. Yeah, it's it's difficult to find the right partner. And you can't just go to the mall and, you know, pick up people and be like, hey, you want to do four hours of Tantra? <laughs> it's like a ritual. There's some things that are required. Like, listen, I need us to be closed off in a space for a, a period of time we're not bringing our phones in there we're not like doing any of this stuff and In, incense and candles yes this candle like there's a there's all kinds of things that are attacking your senses your the sense of smell mm. your sense of touch there's tantalizing touches there's so many things that are happening in these moments and it's just about uncovering and, and exploring this other person and exchanging this energy and you know this selflessness about like you know like i'm here for you and you're here for me and we're going to be here for each other and we're going to exchange this thing and something is going to shift and something is going to happen between us that is beyond just this sexual interaction right thank you for the thank you for the sound effects <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> you know so yes you're right it, there's a there's a a mood that's created for the two individuals to uh, divinely connect, lots of lots of eye contact and things of that nature, and and being devoted to the other person, being in a place of service. Yes, really a lot for the guy to the woman because a woman is a lot more erotic than a man. You think so? I know so. <laughs> A woman can be aroused through every single inch of skin. A man can. You, you don't think a man can? No. No. A man's got his one little spot and that's it. But a woman, the whole entire body, the whole way it connects. And that's the gift that the, a woman has. And I'm glad you know that we've got good things going on. You got good things going on. And so the man should be understanding of that and respectful of that you know and be able to uh explore in a different kind of way in a meditative way it can all be very meditative if the two people are meditative and they come together meditate meditatively then it's different kind of sex mm -hmm. now you can be travelers together mm. yes <laughs> Yeah, I told you the pot. You know, the podcast could take a left turn. It could take a right turn. It could go. Listen, I'm on the ride with you. Let's go. <laughs> Let me light my candles. Summer, you want to go to the summer? You want to go to the VJ contest? Summer, you want to go left on this conversation? Let's go. <laughs> and hey, imagine if I was into all this back then in 19. Could have been a different bus ride. I mean, it could have been. So I had started that bus ride at 19. But um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't connect with the right partners at 19. So that was my, so then I kind of just fell away from it. But, you know, had I connected to the right partners too, I could have, you know, been a, probably a little further along with this meditative sexual energy exchange, mm. you know. But, but I don't, you know, I don't say, you know, like shoulda, coulda, woulda. I think that everything happens the way it happens because that's the way it's supposed to happen. So whether I did it at 19 or whether I do it at 40, that's when it's supposed to happen. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Final thought. What do you say to someone out there that's going through it? You know, they're depressed or they're suffering from anxiety or uh, they're just in a rut. You know, what, what are a few things that you would say to them? 
life's going to happen and things are going to happen. There's no guarantee of happy, but you have to first and foremost know that you have to show up for yourself and you have to be ready to jump in there and save yourself and pull yourself and climb out of any depression, dark spaces, any place like that. You have got to be ready to be the first person in line to save yourself and the last person or the, or never the person to abuse yourself. You have got to do that. And if you're not ready to be the first person to save you and the person to never abuse you, then you got to start working about how to get to that change. You have to. If you don't know that you're not going to be that people, you need to figure out how to become that person or those people or those traits. Because, you know, like everybody's always looking for some outside source to save them. And I'm telling you, it is all within. It is in you. Everything you need is inside of you. And you just have to know and believe and be ready to show up for yourself and know that you can do it. And that I really believe that like 150%. Well said. Where can someone come find you on social media? Come say hi. <laughs> um, on social media, you can find me on Instagram at Sage Beautifully Well. Facebook, you can just look up Summer Sage Williams. I'm on Facebook like that. Um, so I just, you know, I try to post daily. I do a little bit of a, you know, at least 60 seconds or less kind of inspirational muse like every morning. I've been doing that recently. So, And Amazon for your books? Yep. You can go to Amazon.com and you can just type in like um, my writer name is S. Campbell Williams or my children's book that are under Summer Sage. So you can find them, but you can just go right to Amazon and um, all my books are, are pretty much listed there and you can kind of choose and pick, you know. Summer, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Always a pleasure, Kevin. Or should I say doctor? Depends on what you like. <laughs> <laughs> She's so fun to talk to, right? <laughs> so if you want to see the video version of this podcast and or you just want to support the work that's happening here, you can become an exclusive member of the Inner Peace with Dr. Reese Patreon page. I'll give you exclusive content that no one else can get and you help us keep the microphone and the lights on you can hit the link in the description and take a look around and see if that's something that you want to consider you can find my meditations for free on spotify or apple music and i want to ask you to share this recording with someone that needs to hear it and i'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.